There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams and themselves to add more value. And so can you. Welcome to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you were looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen in for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hello, this is Chris Cooper and a big welcome to the Business Elevation Show on Voice America. Uh, brilliant to be back with you for another week with yet another fascinating guest. We've got Christian Espinosa. We're going to be talking about the smartest person in the room. Um, before I do that, uh, a big thank you to my guest last week, Paul Downs. I thought the conversation last week about sovereign wealth funds and this whole world of finance that so many of us just don't really understand exists uh, and the way that competition occurs globally uh, through these funds and the way that uh, different countries like China and the USA are kind of uh, facing up to each other uh, as uh, as they acquire different assets. Um, and I just thought it was a really, really interesting conversation to understand what's truly going on globally uh, in the world. If you've not um, if you've not listened to that show, um, there was that one. There was also the one with his co-author, Winston Marr, um, a few months ago, uh, where we also looked at uh, sort of different angles of it too. Um, but seriously, if you're, you want to know what's going on right now uh, in, the ba- in the background to your business, in the background to um, the, the global world of finance and acquisition and uh, the reason why uh, some businesses just are just growing enormously quickly from almost nowhere is because sovereign wealth funds are behind them. So um, I hope everybody is, uh, is well and is... Uh, enjoying life at the moment. There are quite a lot of challenges still with um, the likes of COVID. And indeed, I'm currently found myself locked down for another 10 days as my son has uh, had a, has a positive. And I think what I kind of, you know, learning from that, having to change my plans, change a holiday is that we've got to be highly adaptable today. We've got to be able to be um, flexible and also keep our moods up as well. And uh, in the conversation, I think today with Christian about the smartest person in the room, um, I think there's, he identifies through his, his book and through his research and his background uh, that um, smart people need to be really adaptable too. And uh, he just identify that uh, you know some real challenges in the cybersecurity industry because of um, smart people leading businesses, but not leading them in a really smart way and engaging on projects in a smart way. And what I think about his work as well that's really fascinating is it's it's relevant to any sector where there are smart people, uh, which uh, particularly left brain people, finance accountants. I'm thinking about. Uh, you know, lawyers, et cetera, uh, who've got this particular type of personality type um, would really benefit from this. Um, and also if you're working with people like this and you've got to develop them uh, and motivate them. So we're going to talk about um, this today. Christian Espinosa, he's an entrepreneur. He's a cybersecurity engineer, certified um, high-performance coach and professor. He also, um, a little bit like myself, uh, he uh, loved heavy metal music growing up, and he also likes spicy food. Uh, he's um, an Air Force veteran. He's an Ironman triathlete. 
Uh, he's also done over 300 um, uh, free falls, I think, from, um, from an airplane. Uh, so uh, he, he doesn't, he, he lives life to the full, which uh, we can talk to him about him uh, about this uh, shortly. Uh, now, the smartest person in the room shows leaders how to leverage their um, company's smartest minds, the benefits of the company and the employees within them. And um, what Christian's developed is a seven-step methodology, which we'll, we'll talk about today. So um, do take a piece of paper or a notepad or uh, just write some notes down and maybe identify you know, two, three, four key points from today that you can take forward to help you elevate yourself, elevate your business. So huge welcome today from Christian Esp- to Christian Espinosa. Welcome. Thanks, Chris. I'm excited to be here. You're very welcome. So, Christian, you're, you're, um, you live in the United States, uh, usually, but you're in Dublin at the moment. Um, tell us, how, how do you manage to get to Dublin? Uh, did you find that easy through the pandemic? And what's life been like for you over the last, the last year, 18 months? Life has been pretty chaotic. I am in a relationship where I met uh, or kind of got in the relationship right before the pandemic started. And uh, my partner, she lives over here. So I've been traveling over here because she can't come to the U.S. So yeah. since March of last year, I think I've been here. I think this is my sixth time. Oh, wow. Uh, so I've traveled during all phases of the pandemic when literally there was nobody on the plane but me and three other people on like an A380 uh, till like a few weeks ago where the plane was like, you know almost at capacity. So I've seen like the whole change from travel restrictions going you know completely restrictive to less restrictive to all these uh, cards you have to have and proof of vaccines and tests and all that. So I've seen the whole gamut of it. So it's been kind of an interesting experience. Yeah, but you, you uh, obviously, with the kind of character you are and, and your situation, you found the, the motivation to do it, which many people would have preferred to stay at home. Is this uh, just a part of your typical character? You, you love to get out there and do things? Yeah, I love to get out there and do things. And uh, have experiences. I think experiences are worth more than possessions to me. So uh, even though they're uncomfortable sometimes, it's the journey and that experience that, that shapes people, I believe. It shapes me for sure. Yeah. So, um, t- t- I mean, let's find out a little bit about who you are. Um, tell us about a little, you know, typical sort of day for you when you were growing up and how that contributed to what I know was a, was a real drive for for, for progress and in self-improvement, wasn't it? What, tell us a bit about your story. I grew up in a very chaotic environment. Uh, I spent uh, the first 12 years of my life in California, and then after that, I moved to Arkansas. Uh, but my mother was addicted to prescription medication, and we were always extremely poor. Uh, I'll tell you a typical day, like one example. Um, I used to, when I was maybe in first grade, I used to walk to school back in California. And back in the day, you know, you could walk to school. People didn't drive you to school. And I remember coming home from school and I heard loud music. Like as soon as I turned the corner to come on my street, I heard this really loud music. And I could generally tell like what kind of mood my mother was in based on how loud the music it was and what she was playing. Uh, If she was playing Bob Dylan or Donovan, it was usually like going to be something chaotic when I came in the house. So when I came in the house, this was like a Mother's Day. Um, after school, we had all these like aquariums, these fish aquariums. There's like six of them. And my mom liked art. So she had all these like framed art with glass over them. 
she had taken this, um, these glass eggs. She collected these glass eggs, had a bowl of them, taken the glass eggs and threw them at all the aquariums and broke the aquariums. It was like glass from the aquariums and water on the floor and like fish like flopping on the glass. She threw them at all the uh, pictures on the wall. So the glass from the pictures was on the floor. And that's like, you know, the scene I walked into when I opened the door. It's like these fish on, you know, that, I just have this visual of the fish like flopping in the glass on the water and the floor. My mother's like out of her mind on whatever prescription meds she'd taken or whatever else she'd taken. So when I saw that chaos, it didn't sit well with me. So I just like turned around and went up to like, there's a hill behind my house and just sat like on top of it. I climbed the hill. It wasn't a mountain, it's just a hill, but kind of sat there and listened to the wind and the nature and kind of just looked at things from a different perspective. And I always kind of retreated from that chaos to, to nature. And that's what kind of gave me my, gave me, I think, my drive towards nature. But that was a typical day. And there were many days like that. But for me, as I kind of mentioned, I didn't, I didn't feel comfortable in those scenarios. I knew there was something more out there. So I worked really hard to get away from that scenario uh, and to, to maintain my independence. Uh, I didn't want to become like a product of that environment, really. And for some reason, like early on, you know, even when I was in first grade and the, the scenario I just told you, I knew that that, that life wasn't for me. So it, it did drive me to get out of that environment. And that's what drove me to get multiple scholarships and ultimately, you know, get a scholarship to the United States Air Force Academy and get out of the environment. Wow. So from that very, you had a tough, tough childhood, uh, from that, that tough childhood, it, it there's a silver lining in some respects and that it, it really inspired you to, to move forward and not leave a life like that in the future, uh, to become so the master of your destiny. Did the did the um, well, loud music? I'm just thinking now why I liked, um, particularly growing up. I got into the the, the loud uh, sort of rock music and <laughs> why, why what um was you know that because in some ways was it was it the escape that it gave you that you attracted you to it? What was it? As I got older, I I, I don't remember what it was, but I got turned on to heavy metal music, and I think it was more the the attitude and the authenticity yeah, and, and the um, just like powerfulness of the music uh, that really resonated with me really. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that. I it was Iron Maiden was my first ever concert and uh, yeah, I'll never forget it. I was quite, quite young. I was only about 14 at the time, uh, 14, 15, but uh, yeah, I became, I became addicted to many for many years really. Um, so, um, but also you went, you went to the military, you've worked in cybersecurity, you've had your own successful cybersecurity firm and you've climbed lots of mountains and you've fallen out of the sky several hundred times. Um, why you'd want to do that? I don't know. You've done ultra marathons. You've, uh, really pushed the boat out. I mean, but after, but reading your book after doing, you know, doing quite a lot of this, you, you made a decision that you didn't, didn't really, um, belong. Uh, and I thought that was quite interesting. You know, what, what made you come upon that conclusion and what um, made you decide to make a, a, a pivot in some ways in terms of your, your thinking and your behavior? Yeah, I, I achieved a lot of things, uh, but I, I never really felt 
a part of something. When I started my own business in 2014, I, I would go to like these uh, Vistage meetings. That's a peer CEO group. And I would just sort of sit there and, and pretend I had it figured out when I really didn't. I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing with my business. And I was sort of sat on the periphery of the meetings and I wasn't getting much value out of it because I wasn't willing to be vulnerable and just sort of belong to the group. And that, that trend of not belonging was like from high school and high school, I wasn't in a particular clique. I was in like all the cliques, but I never really felt like I belonged to any of them. Even like with skydiving, there's all the people that drop zone. I was friends with them, but not like in, you know, belonging to the group. I always felt on the outside. And I don't know if it was, some mechanism to protect myself or the story I just told myself uh, that, you know, I, I, I'm not good enough or maybe I'm waiting to be invited before I, you know, belong. Uh, but I, what I realized with the, the Vistage group in my business is that was hindering my growth. And, and belonging to something is just a matter of deciding to belong. Yeah. So I just made that decision. And in 2019, I attended a Genius Network event, which was something I decided to do for my growth. And I decided to belong to that group. And one of the things that they did at that event was they sent out these, um, myintent.com makes these bracelets where you can wear with a, a, a saying on it. And I had one that said belong. So I wore it during the event uh, because I thought, who am I to be at this group? You know, I'm not good enough. These people are more successful than me. I started telling myself the story. And I wore that bracelet at the event and just kept looking at the word belong. And it really sort of like sh uh, shifted my perspective. And after that, uh, I found that I was able to grow more when I just realized that it's a decision uh, to belong to something. Mm. I mean, it's interesting. I'm just, you've got me thinking to my background was uh, quite a working class background in the, the north of England. Father was a steel worker, um, not not as harsh as yours, um, but money was very tight. Uh, and I ran the same sort of program, really. You know, I'm not good enough for many, many years. But it, and what, it, what it did do is I always tried to prove I was good enough, prove I was good enough, prove I was good enough, did really very well through that that kind of pattern of behavior, but it got to a point where it got exhausting. Yeah. And, uh, and actually there was a need, there were need for me to actually be vulnerable, realize that and, uh, and allow the true me to come out really, uh, to, to progress the next levels. And you had a, a bit of a, a shift as well in terms of paradigm was what, what, you know, what's, um, what did you, you obviously wanted to move to become, uh, to belong more, but um, you also started to identify some things, characteristics in your leadership style which meant you had to be even more vulnerable. Um, tell us a little bit about that. I realized that you know, the team wasn't just the people that worked for me. I needed a team around me as well to support me. So like the Vistas group I talked about and belonging, that's really a team that I wasn't tapping into. My, you know, my peer networks, my, my friends that were coaches or anybody, I wasn't really tapping into that because I used to think, I could just do it all myself. It was like me against the world. And when I made that shift to like, I'm going to belong to this, this, this larger picture, this larger team, I realized that, you know, being vulnerable, making that shift, a lot of people were willing to help me. I just had to ask for it. 
Yes. It really helped me get to the next level. And, and those people are still like, you know, we're helping each other at this point. So it's, it's been like a big shift for me. It's not, not me against the world. It's, it's us as a collective trying to achieve something better and contribute. Excellent. Well, we're going to go to commercial break now, but after the break, I want to talk about the smartest person in the room and where it, where it came from. Um, because I really recognized in people I've worked with over my career, some of the character traits that you really identify that, uh, you know, like, the smart, smart person often just wants to prove they're right. <laughs> uh, and uh, some of that was, you know, quite, um, quite helpful to, to realize that there's some, um, uh, some insights I think are very useful for people, whether they're very smart or they're working with very smart people in terms of IQ. Mm-hmm. So when we come back to the break, let's explore that a little bit more. And uh, we can also chat a little bit about cybersecurity too, because there's some uh, great insights there too to be, to be had. Well, so we'll be back again with everybody in just a couple of minutes. So do join us after the break. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Christian Espinosa. We're talking about the smartest person in the room. And uh, Christian, just before we go into that, just, just tell us a little bit about what you're doing right now, because you... You built a business and then you you've sold it. And what's what's your kind of key key focus right now? I sold my business in December 2020 to Cerberus Sentinel. So right now I'm working primarily with sales and marketing with them. I'm managing director, and then I'm developing a course. It's almost done. I'm in the editing stages. A course on the secure methodology, which are the seven steps I cover in the book. Right. And what what made you write the book? 
I decided at that Genius Network event uh, in 2019 that I was playing too small. Like literally everybody I talked to at that event had written a book. And that's the reason I go to these, some of these things is to, to get a different perspective. Everybody, just about everybody I talked to had written a book. And I started thinking, why haven't I written a book? And what could I write a book about? And I started thinking back on my company journey and all the things I did to help solve this high IQ, low EQ, intellectual bullying challenge within cybersecurity. And I thought, if I write all this stuff down, maybe in a, in a manner and package it in a manner that people can digest, maybe I can help people avoid some of the pitfalls that I encountered or improve in an area that they are unsure what to do. They, they're lacking the tools. And that was really my focus because I decided I wanted to contribute and get over, kind of let my ego go and not be afraid of like publishing something that's against like the status quo. And that's, you know, I made that decision there and it took me about a year to, to write the book. Yeah. So, so there's actually, but the, the book, the book itself, having read it, it, it does have the potential to, to um, change some of the ways that the that the industry works, doesn't it? You're in effect becoming a thought leader in the industry uh, through having written that book. Just tell us um, briefly, if you can, about the cybersecurity war, and uh, you know, the, the, you talk in the book about the real problem that there is between people who are trying to, um, you know, fraud us and get into our systems, and the kinds of people that are recruited to solve the problem. The, the cyber war is basically the cyber criminals that are very motivated. It's their business and there's more risk for them. So they get caught, they go to jail. So they, they get very good at their trade and they're very good at breaking in and stealing our data or holding our data ransom on the, our side, the defensive side, we've sort of created this, this problem where we focus all of our attention on new technology new processes such as a new framework and we just keep focusing on all that over and over and over expecting different results and as, as you know from the news just about every day there's a new data breach announced and just when we think there can't be a bigger one there's a bigger one the next day so what we're doing is not working but we just keep doing it in cybersecurity. and i wrote the book from the angle of the people based on my almost 30 years experience are part of the problem. The high IQ, you know, super smart people are attracted to the industry, but they typically have a low EQ or low interpersonal skills yeah. or no interpersonal skills. And in the industry, we've, we've tolerated this. We've tolerated these high IQ, low EQ people to the point where we've, cre we've created a toxic culture that is hindering the industry. Because if you have a high IQ and you think you're smarter than everybody, you're gonna do things to protect your identity, to protect you being smarter than everybody, which is going to result in poor communication and poor collaboration. And if we can't communicate with our board of directors or our clients very well in a manner they understand, you know, the, the cybersecurity risk, then we're not going to make the improvements necessary. And that's like the root issue in my mind. Yeah. And you, and you described a good example in the book, I thought of a, a client you'd come across who spent a million dollars on on something because it was, it was his idea uh, and uh, he thought it was the right thing to do and you identified it wasn't and there was a a far far lower cost solution but, but he pushed it forward didn't he uh, and spent the money just because he wanted to be right 
That's right. Most people with a high IQ don't want to admit they're not the smartest person in the room. So, <laughs> so their idea has to be the right idea. Uh, and when, when that's your mindset, it's hard to be open to ideas that you could collaborate on and maybe come with a better solution. It's always, you know, my idea is the best because if it's not, then I'm not the smartest person. It's this whole ego thing that plays out over and over in the industry. How, uh, how do, how would you recommend that the, the smart, super smart people uh, shift their mindsets? Cause I imagine some of them wouldn't have even considered it before. Um, others might be aware that maybe their behavior sometimes doesn't get them the result that what they want, but what's your, what's your solution to solving this problem? Part of the challenge is it's, it's tolerated in the industry. And I'm a believer that you get what you tolerate. So as a culture in an organization, if we tolerate the intellectual bullying uh, the high IQ and low EQ, that's what we're going to get more of. Mm-hmm. So it, 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 it's hard to have it come from the individual themselves. They have to be at the right point in their, you know, something has to happen and they have to be the right point in their journey for them to realize they need to change. But if the organization for, enforces the culture where it's not tolerated, then the change will, will occur. Uh, we can't just rely on people that have got, you know, through the majority of their life being smarter than the people to make that shift. It has to be sort of communicated from the organizations themselves. And, and uh, you would, would you advocate uh, recruiting a different kind of character? Absolutely. Uh, with my company, I used to recruit like super smart technical people first. That used to be the criteria. And then interpersonal skills last, if at all. Mm-hmm. And I realized that if I, when, I went, when I went back and analyzed all my problems, of the problems were not technical problems. They were related to people skills or lack of people skills, something where they're upsetting a client, uh, upsetting each other on the team. And that required us to do a lot of damage control, basically, with clients. At least I had to do a lot of that. So then I, I flipped the script and realized that I needed to start focusing on cultural match, on matching for a vision, and looking at the interpersonal skills first. And once I focus on that, only when someone passed those things did I look at their technical skills. And once I did that, a lot of those problems went away and we had a few challenges technically, but it's easier from my experience for someone to learn technical skills than learn the interpersonal skills. Yeah. And you, and you recruited a very different chief operating officer, uh, I believe, on that <laughs> <Yes>. basis. <laughs> yes. Well, she, was, she started with the company as an unpaid intern and, and worked her way up through the company. But one of the things that she adopted, which I, 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 we had lots of conversations about this, and this is one of her core values, is a, is a growth mindset, for instance. Mm. And one of the things she, she adopted was that growth mindset. She realized that she had to change in order to get to be the person to fulfill that role. A lot of us think, you know, we should just go after something, but the reality is we need to change who we are and shift our identity to become the person that can do the next role or attract the next thing in life. It, it's not a matter of chasing that, it's a matter of becoming that and then it attract, we attract it. So 
with her, she realized after lots of conversations, we did a lot of coaching together, that these are the things she needed to change within her. And she embraced that discomfort and worked through that. And that was something that, you know, I found very impressive because a lot of people aren't willing to go through that discomfort or become somebody different because they want to remain who they are. Yes. Yes. Well, well, something that came up for me in reading the story too, was she had some very interesting hobbies outside of work. And, and, uh, you know, one of the things I think, um, I remember interviewing a senior guy from Costa Coffee and we were talking about curiosity and why Costa Coffee recruit on curiosity. They were looking for people who've done very different things outside of work mm. to demonstrate they're curious because they want them to be able to, you know, be more than just going in to do a job, be, be curious, trying to improve all the time and having that kind of growth mindset. Um, but I thought, uh, I thought her extracurricular activities were quite interesting and said something about maybe her curiosity and interest in things. Yeah, one of the things she did is she is part of a, the 501st costuming, I think it's called professional costuming, uh, where they dress up as Star Wars characters <laughs> and, and go to hospitals and, and baseball games all dressed up in costume, which is like a studio quality uh, costumes. And it's a charity organization where they go like, like at hospitals and, and cheer up children, for instance. So it's like very interesting to hear her passion about that. And, and what I thought is like, if she's this passionate about this, if we can capture that passion for our, what we do is cybersecurity, that's the person I want on my team. Somebody mm-hmm. that's passionate about something, not just checked out or, and clocking in and clocking out because the cyber criminals are extremely passionate. And we need passionate people on the good side as well. Yeah. And, 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 and as you kind of alluded to, one of the challenges we have is there's a lot of people that just get into cybersecurity because they think it's stable and sexy, but they don't really care about the industry. They just want a stable job and to make a fair amount of money. And that's the other reason we're not doing well in the cyber war. Yeah, yeah. Uh, did you ever do that technique with her? There's a creative brainstorming technique where you kind of imagine you're like a superhero uh, and, the, and I believe there are one or two companies even have like a, a room with different costumes in and they actually dress up in those costumes mm-hmm. for the brainstorming sessions. Do you ever do that? I haven't done that. No. <laughs> <laughs> May I have to try that. I'm outside my comfort zone doing that. She so. was, well, there you go. That's, um, <laughs> you, you like pushing yourself outside your comfort zone. There's an idea for you. Um, there you go. <laughs> she can source them for you. So, so you um, developed this, this um, approach called, called the secure methodology. Um, why do you call it the secure methodology? And um, just the seven components, I believe, could you top line it? I call it the secure methodology because I believe a lot of our interpersonal skills stem from insecurity. Ah, okay. So if you go through the secure methodology, your inner world will become more secure. And I'm a, in a, since this is in context of cybersecurity, I believe if your inner world is more secure, your outer world is more secure. I believe your inner world is, whatever that is, the outer world is going to be a reflection of that. So since we're talking about insecurity, if you can improve your own security, uh, then that will improve the outer security with cybersecurity. And there's seven steps, and I put the seven steps in order, and I can run through them quickly here. The first one is awareness. It always starts with awareness, but awareness is kind of useless unless you can do something about the awareness. With awareness, one of the things to talk about is one of the NLP concepts. NLP is neuro-linguistic programming. 
And we have programs in our mind that most of us run on autopilot that we're unaware of. So if there's a trigger, this program automatically runs and we automatically start reacting in a specific way and behaving in a specific way. And often that way is not serving us. So having the awareness that whenever I hear a siren or somebody looks at us a certain way or somebody asks me a certain question, I automatically run this program. And that program is typically a strong neural pathway, it's a default. So having the awareness that this is what happens and being able to stop that program and run a different program and create a new neural pathway that becomes a stronger one, basically develop a new habit is extremely important from an awareness perspective. And that's from a self-awareness perspective. And then understanding that we all have a different model of the world. You know, that I may see the world one way, but other people see it differently. So when we're interacting with people, we have to keep that in mind as well. And that's just kind of like scratching the surface with awareness. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, I mean, well, okay. We, so just, just maybe just outline the other seven elements, six elements, and we'll then we'll just talk about one or two of them sort of top line. So there's awareness. I'd like to come back to that in a moment because there's yeah. a lovely example in the book that demonstrates it, but you mentioned the mindset, I think was the uh, second one. And um, so what, what, um, what are the areas and growth mindset? I think you talked about briefly um, what are the other, the other elements of the secure methodology, top, very top line? Yeah, so there's mindset, having a growth mindset. There's acknowledgement, which is step three, uh, being able to acknowledge yourself and other people. Uh, I talk about the five uh, languages of appreciation, which is the five love languages morphed. Uh, yeah. There's communication. Yeah. I'm a believer that the mean of communication is the response you get, and the ownership is on you to alter how you communicate in a way that the communication is received properly. A lot of people blame the other person, but the ownership should be on you. Uh, I believe I'm living at the C uh, side of the cause and effect equation, yep. uh, which we can talk about later. And then step five is uh, monotasking. Monotasking is the antithesis of multitasking. Multitasking is like really old and antiquated. And there's two main reasons to do monotasking. One is for productivity. You're much more productive when you monotask. And the other one is for presence. So if I'm monotasking and I'm having a conversation with someone or communicating with someone, I'm present and I can actually listen to what they're saying and listen for insight versus just kind of waiting for a time to speak. Uh, step six is empathy. We tend to focus too much on our differences, not enough on our similarities. And all the other steps I've talked about, if you're empathetic and can take someone else's perspective, take someone else's perspective, you're going to be better at communication, for instance. And the seventh step is Kaizen. Kaizen means constant and never-ending improvement, or can I, as some people like to say. And it's basically having the courage to take the first step and understanding that you're probably not going to get it right. So it's having the courage to make take the first step, make improvements, and realizing that mastery of a topic or anything is a journey, and you're not – you know, the journey is going to have some peaks and valleys. But as long as you're trending upward and you can figure out what you need to improve, that's uh, what's important. Excellent. So it all makes, um, makes an awful lot of sense. And I can see, you know, the, the link in with all of the, the research for NLP and in some of that, some of that too. We're going to go to commercial break again. Uh, and after the break, um, let's have a little chat about uh, awareness. I thought you've got a, a super example in there, which, which I've come across a number of times and it's caused – great frustration and that's uh, around asking for a pay rise uh, 
<laughs> I've seen a number of people do it and the business is struggling and, and, and they get a bit upset by the response. Uh, and so let's talk about that. And then we'll, be, um, we'll look at one or two of the other areas and then we'll, um, obviously we'll, we'll close. But do come back. We'll talk about those seven principles. We'll be back with you all again in just a couple of minutes. Do join us after the break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, it's Chris Cooper. I'm with Christian Espinosa. We're talking about the smartest person in the room and the secure methodology uh, that Christian's endorsing um, in, in the uh, cybersecurity industry at the moment. But I think he's relevant to uh, anybody who's really um, working working in business. And each of these are, are very relevant as to whether you are highly left brain and uh, you are very, very high IQ. Um, but they're relevant to all of us, really. But I, I think... I think there's there's definitely um, some real value in uh, in this book and and the components in it, and the and the first one that you talked about was awareness, and that's one of the hardest things for people often, isn't it? Is they sometimes go through life unaware of how of their habitual ways of doing things, uh, and I just thought as an example of that in the book you talk about somebody approaching you for a pay rise, and uh, I've seen this and experienced it and helped clients with the frustration of it when people do that. But I thought you very beautifully solved the problem. So maybe you could just share that as an example. I was going over the weekly numbers with my team and I had a specific way I went over them. It was fairly high level. And I went over that we were like 40% behind our revenue for that month. And and I went over a very high level. And one of the team members came up to me, like literally after the meeting, after everyone left, and wanted to talk to me about getting a raise. And it was just like a really bizarre scenario for me because I was like, you know, I just explained we're 40% behind a revenue. And now someone's asking me for a raise. It didn't like add up. Yeah. Uh, so from an awareness perspective, you know, they didn't have the awareness of of what was really going on there? They're, they were pretty absorbed with themselves, which is, which is okay. Uh, and what I decided to do was 
the next week, changed how I gave the numbers. So I, I gave them because I, I thought I took a step back and I thought, what is it about how I'm communicating that is not resonating or landing with this person? And if it's not landing with them, it's probably not landing with any, anyone else. So I realized that I was speaking too high level, like a lot of companies do. And it wasn't like tangible and relatable to the person. So the next meeting, I went over the numbers again, but I showed a sample project and the bill rate for the project, all the expenses for the project and our, our revenue or our profit, if we hit the number of hours we projected for the project and then our profit, if we use more hours for the project, which went negative basically. So I put it in a way that this person could understand because these are projects they worked on. And, you know, even two or three hours going over on the project, you know, diminishes the amount of profit. And if there's no profit, we can't give a raise to someone because I mentioned how, you know, what we could use the profit for. And when I mentioned that and went over it in that manner, I saw people look at me a little bit differently. It kind of, I could tell it was clicking for them. And that same person came up to me after the meeting again uh, and said, the, the person that asked for a raise the previous, previous week said, look, I, now I better understand where we are financially and kind of how all this works. And I don't think I should get a raise. If, if, we need a, if somebody needs to get a raise or deserves a raise, it should, raise, it should be somebody else, this other person on the team. So it's like a, just changing the approach, making it more tangible, resulted like in a 180 almost in that person. Yeah. It's very interesting. Yeah. So, so that's a, you know, and if, if people are not getting the awareness you want them to, sometimes you have to look in the mirror and look at as a leader how you do things differently. Um, and there's also maybe from her perspective, thinking back to, Stephen Covey and his seven habits, there's something about for people to really seek first to understand before being understood. And you explained it, but, but clearly that person wasn't really listening, really taking in deeply or maybe working on the, the, in their head on the project they were, or something they were doing tomorrow or tonight or, or what have you. Right. Um, so, so we always have to keep um, becoming more and more aware. Is there anything around you know, mindset that uh, you, that is helpful for people. So we, people need to become more aware of themselves, um, but also the way that they're thinking and operating. What, what um what do we need to know about mindset? I think the biggest thing with mindset is a lot of people kind of live their life with this uninformed optimism, as I like to call it. Shifting from that to an informed realism is important, and once you know, like what reality is like, then you can work on the things that allow you to attract what you're trying to attract. And, and the thing with mindset that, that a lot of people I've noticed don't get over is they want to cling on to their identity strongly. And a lot of limiting beliefs are tied to that identity, the, the version of them today. And it's important to be able to make that shift because we need to shift our identity and to, we have to push through our discomfort to do that, though. And, you know, if you keep doing the hard work, and I hear people talk about this all the time, they think they deserve more because they've done the hard work, or they, they're just the way they are because this is how they were raised. But if that's your mindset, you're going to always get the same results. Mm. So like I mentioned, you have to shift your identity and, and operate with informed realism instead of, the, instead of this uninformed optimism. Hmm. And it's, it's much easier said than done, obviously. <laughs> I guess also realizing that um, 
having having come from gone from the corporate world and worked for lots of companies when you you get you're getting more when you have the need to work for yourself and you start to realize that actually you know results are very very important mm-hmm. uh, and uh there can be an acceptance in companies, can't I get my paycheck, irrespective of the results. Uh, and, but actually, to, to generate uh, really good incomes, you need to be generating more value in okay. some way. Yeah. yeah, and I realized all that when I started my own business. So I, the, those things were in the back of my mind as an employee or a freelancer, but when I started a business, had payroll, you know, all these things mattered much more, and I couldn't brute force things any longer. I had to change my strategy and change who I was because I believe in business, a business is a reflection of the owner or CEO. So a business is limited by the CEO and owner's own mindset and capability. So I had to shift mine in order to help grow my business. Mm. I just want to um, also talk about, I mean, I mean obviously <laughs> communication uh, is important. Um, being learning to be empathic and generating rapport with people is important. Uh, you talked about, I, I must acknowledge, tell, just tell us a little bit more about acknowledge. With acknowledgement, one of the things I realized is I had a hard time acknowledging myself. And when, I, when we talk about leadership, I believe leadership starts with leading yourself. And I would do like an Ironman triathlon and I would just immediately be on the next thing. I never like took a moment and like, patted myself on the back. And what I realized as a leader, if I can't acknowledge myself, I'm not gonna be acknowledge my team. So once I was able to get better at acknowledging myself, I was able to, better able to acknowledge my team. And this is extremely important in an industry like cybersecurity because we have to get like 1,000 things right, you know, patch 1,000 things and the cyber criminal just has to find one thing we missed to get in. So the odds are stacked against us and there's a lot of focus on the one thing that was missed in the industry, which caused a lot of stress and burnout, and it contributes to that toxic culture I was referring to earlier. Mm, mm. The, the, you talk about uh, monotasking. I'm kind of intrigued with, with this one. Um, I know myself that I'm more effective when I focus on one task, mm. get it done, move on to the next task. Uh, yet... A lot of organizations are set up so that people are spinning with tasks and having multiple demands on them. Uh, in fact, uh, a gentleman I was working with, working with this morning is experiencing, experiencing that. And it is very, very common, isn't it? And we, 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 do, we do have people in certain roles who are having to do so many different tasks and things almost um, sometimes at the same time with the multiple demands. How do, how do we... How, we, how do we best monotask ourselves, but also how do we help our people to be to monotask um, in order for them to be more effective for us? Yeah, first off, we need to set the example and do it ourselves. And, and monotasking is, is focusing on one thing at a time, either being present in a conversation or doing one project for a, a chunk of time. So one of the things that I focus on is if I'm in a meeting with other people, I make sure everyone understands that they need to be present. So nobody's like multitasking. Because when people are multitasking in a meeting uh, and you call on that person, it's like you you wake them up. They're like, what did you ask? And it's like, it's a waste yeah. of everyone's time. And this mm-hmm. is something you have to enforce 
as a culture. Culture just doesn't happen. You have to create it and enforce it. And then with productivity, though, the other way to, to help with this is to, to, to do it yourself. So I, I use blocks of time. So I set up on my calendar for one hour, I'm going to do this. They're going to take a 10 or five or 10 minute break. The next hour, I'll do this. So for the first block of time, I only do that thing during that block of time. That could be writing a report. It could be working on an abstract for a speaking event. But that's all I do. That means I shut off my email. I shut off instant messaging. I don't answer my phone. That's literally all I do. Uh, and, I'm, and I get much more done. Uh, but this has to be allowed in the culture of an organization as well. Because if you expect someone to respond to you immediately when you instant message them or email them, then you're not supporting the concept of monotasking. You're expecting people to always be on alert, which, which causes stress and results in a lot of busyness, but not a lot of productivity. Because yeah. most yeah. people today, you ask them what they got accomplished during the day and they can't really tell you. They just said, oh, I was just extremely busy. And they go through the whole day. At the end of the day, they like exhale. And they think, wow, the day's over, but what did I really get done? Not much, because they, they weren't very productive. And yeah. monotasking will help with that. And how do you help people who are maybe very process, structural, detailed, possibly in, more introverted? How do you help them to become more empathic? One of the ways is is the whole seven steps of the methodology, but part of it is uh, perspective taking. Uh, and there's a, there's a number of ways to do this. One way that I found effective, if I'm working with someone, they're having trouble with it. I would say, if I'm in your shoes, how would you like me to communicate with you? Uh, for instance, so that it kind of takes the um, pressure off of me and puts it on them to explain like their perspective. And naturally by explaining their perspective, they have to think of my perspective and how I would communicate with them. So it kind of shifts the conversation a little bit. Uh, the other thing is getting people to focus on similarities rather than differences. Media, politics, you know, we, we always focus on everyone's differences and we're focused on differences. It's hard to see that underlying our role, we all have like this human condition in common. And the person over there is also, you know, a parent, a child, you know, they, they, they've got the same struggles, maybe in a different capacity than you, but look at the person as a human versus looking at this person as a salesperson, this person as an engineer, this person as a Microsoft person, this person as an Apple person, looking at people as people helps with empathy as well. Yeah. 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 Makes, uh, makes, uh, makes a lot of sense. Cause I think what we sometimes do do is we, we also we put pigeonhole people into into roles, mm -hmm. and uh, what we don't do is take into account they might have done other things. So you know, I always remember you know people saying, "Oh, crikey, that was a, a good idea. You should be in marketing." I said, "Well, if you, I used to be in marketing about 15, 20 years ago, you know, <laughs> um, but they don't realise the whole journey of an individual sometimes, all of the influences, and uh, the fact they may have worked in different functions, and that they can bring more value than just maybe the." typical definitional stereotype of their role. Yeah. Um, so we've got just a, got a couple of minutes now till we've, uh, we're, we're finished. I'm kind of uh, in, in, intrigued. Um, in your book, you mentioned the Dickens process and kind of looking back on your life when you're 80. Uh, what, um, what's left for you to achieve? Because you've achieved an awful lot in your, 
in your years. What's um, the, the next uh, the next chapter for for Christian look like? Well, there's a lot left for me to achieve. I still <laughs> want to finish the seven summits. You know, I've only done two of them, uh, but but there's also a lot more for me to become. Uh, and I think like a journey you take. And that's why I like doing some of these journeys helps you become somebody else or, or improve or evolve. And something that I've been working on is I, I noticed, and I, I had a conversation today with someone about this is when, when I have a struggle in a relationship, either professionally, personally, it doesn't really matter. I ha- I tend to like, want to like, when it gets to a certain point, run away. So for me, that that's something when I've applied the Dickens process, you mentioned that, where I look at like, what does this belief cost to me in the past? What does it cost me in the present? And what does it cost me in the future if I don't change it? Just like, when things get really tough in a relationship, I just want to like say, screw it, run away. You know, if I, if I look at that from a Dickens process, if I don't change that, you know, 10 years from now or when I'm 80, what's the impact going to be on my life? And, and that's, that's the power of the Dickens process. It's, ba- it's based on Scrooge and the ghost of the past and the present mm-hmm. and the future but it causes you to look at your beliefs and see what it's costing you and the people you care about. Uh, and if you don't change it, what's the impact going to be? Excellent. Well, I've just got for about 15 seconds of a final message you want to leave us with. Uh, one of the final messages I would say, if you're overscheduled, you cannot transform. A lot of us want to transform, but you have to make the time to transform. Yeah, good point. And that requires you to make the time to reflect journal, whatever it takes. So Fantastic. Yeah. Christian Espinosa, I've got to go leave it there. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, ChristianEspinosa.com. That's ChristianEspinosa.com. If you want to find out more, if you want a copy of his book, The Smartest Person in the Room, um, there'll be details there, but they'll be available, I'm sure, on all good good um, bookstores. Uh, on next week's show, we've got um, – I'm having a little – well, I was having a little holiday. I think I still am. Um, I've had to postpone it due to uh, being in lockdown. But I'm going to repeat a show with Judy Robinette on wisdom next week because um, I was supposed to be away. Um, so I think that's what we'll be doing uh, doing next week. But uh, And then the following week, we've got Howard Shaw. But um, in the meantime, I wish you all well. If you've got any questions or comments, send them to me at chris at chriscooper.co.uk. And, and uh, Christian, it's been um, an absolute pleasure. Yeah, thanks so much, Thank Chris. You. I appreciate it. We thank you for listening to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.